I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at rainnetwork.com. Welcome to RAIN's Essential Geopolitics Podcast. My name is Emma Kami, and I'll be your host today. On June 26th, RAIN published its third quarter forecasts for both its geopolitical and threat intelligence platforms. Here to discuss some of the major security stories we'll be watching this quarter is Sam Lichtenstein, RAIN's Director of Analysis. Welcome, Sam. Thanks so much for having me, Emma. So let's get started in Ukraine. Um, what do we see as the outlook for fighting this quarter, especially in light of Ukraine's counteroffensive? Yeah, of course, this remains top of mind for so many people. And of course, in light of the events that have been going on in Russia for the past few days after the Wagner Group's uprising, there's a lot of questions about what it means for the war. Uh, but I will tell you that, you know, we give given this a lot of thought. And regardless of what's going on with Wagner, which is, of course, you know, dominating the news coverage, Fundamentally, uh, we don't see the Ukrainian offensive making a huge amount uh, of territorial uh, re or retaking a huge amount of territory uh, despite the renewed offensive. Um, what we see really is that there's going to be, of course, a heightened amount of fighting, which we've already seen the past few weeks. Um, this is prime season for fighting to begin with because of environmental and weather conditions. And of course, there's a huge amount of uh, political uh, and strategic necessity behind the Ukrainian counteroffensive. But even then, fundamentally, um, we still see the war settling into a stalemate, and that's for a few reasons. Um, we have seen the Russians uh, mobilize uh, a huge number of troops who may be facing, uh, admittedly, some deficiencies in equipment and uh, training and morale, but fundamentally have had weeks, if not months, to really dig in and prepare uh, their defensive lines. And so even in the reports you've seen, even Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky admit in the past few days the beginnings of the counteroffensive are slow, um, they're halting, and that's really what we expect. Um, Ukraine, of course, uh, we expect will make some territorial gains, recapturing some towns, uh, perhaps even you know some uh, notable patches of territory here and there. But fundamentally, uh, we don't see a strategic shift in the war this quarter. Uh, the Russian lines, particularly in the most strategic areas, uh, say in the Donbass, and particularly the land bridge connecting Russia to the Crimean Peninsula, are simply too well dug in and too defend well defended. And so uh, the Ukrainians, of course, hope to break through those front lines. That would be the ultimate goal to, to sever the land bridge, retake all the Donbass. But fundamentally, uh, and again, regardless of what's going on with Wagner, uh, Russia simply has too much invested in those areas and is too well defended them. So we see there to be a lot of fighting. Uh, we expect, again, some Ukrainian uh, success on the battlefield, but nothing that's going to fundamentally strategically alter the trajectory of the war. At the end of the day, both sides still feel as though time is on their side, um, even though uh, we don't see uh, really any sort of an end to the war anytime soon. Outside of Ukraine, uh, what are some of the largest security developments we'll be following this quarter? Well, uh, for better or worse, Emma, unfortunately, there are quite a lot that we're always tracking. Um, and so I think it might be useful to you know, think in terms of the various things that we look at uh, from security standpoint, not just in terms of 
uh, physical violence uh, on the battlefield or from militant or terrorist groups, but also the whole range of security issues that we cover, ranging from violent unrest uh, to crime uh, to state surveillance, etc. So uh, for the leader, readers and listeners out there, there's certainly plenty to chew on in these forecasts, but I'll highlight a few things. Uh, one of the areas where I really feel that our analysis has been really ahead of the curve uh, is in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, you know, I think I've been on the podcast and said before that, in my opinion, and, and hopefully I think that of some other people huh, that uh, are even more educated than me, Sub-Saharan Africa has really become the center of the global jihad in many respects. Uh, and so we're continuing to track very closely uh, the spread of militancy and jihadism throughout the Sahel, as well as, of course, a host of violent conflicts in the region, uh, not least in Sudan, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Nigeria, etc. And so if you, we, we want to talk about battlefield violence uh, and security risks, those are definitely some of the things uh, that are at the top of our list. Uh, obviously, the conflict in Sudan has been top of mind for a lot of people the fast past few weeks. Uh, and our, our basic outlook there is that uh, despite the ongoing rounds of ceasefires that we, we continue to see, we also expect them to fully continue to lapse just as they have every few days. Uh, fundamentally, the two warring parties, the Sudanese Armed Forces and the Rapid Support Forces, are going to be incredibly challenged in reaching a sustainable peace deal. Uh, much like the Russians and Ukrainians, both of the leaders of these groups feel as though time is on their side and that basically this is their last best chance and so have no incentive to compromise. And so we're going to continue to track that development and in particular, um, the risk of violence spilling over. And this is something we've actually already seen in the past few days. Uh, our lead sub-Saharan Africa analyst, Clara, has recently written a piece about this, looking at the risk of spillover into South Sudan. Uh, so our big concern this quarter is, what is the effects of the conflict? Uh, because we, we take it kind of as a baseline that the conflict will endure. And so we're going to be looking at those things very carefully. Um, another area that I'd really uh, emphasize, and now looking at a different type of security risk, uh, this from uh, violent unrest, uh, not necessarily from battlefield violence, uh, is we're of course always looking for a, a diff across the world for where either political, economic, social, other grievances are, are likely to boil over. And so I'll, I'll just give a quick tour huh, of the world, so to speak. Uh, one of the areas we're very closely covering um, is parts of South and Latin America that have uh, a range of political events this quarter, ranging from elections uh, to a constitutional drafting rewrite process in Chile, a whole host of things uh, that are likely at various points to spark uh, bouts of unrest. Uh, a lot of clients uh, have operations in these countries, uh, and to some degree, some of these events can, can be forecast pretty well because we know what those triggers are. Um, and so those are some of the things we're covering there. Uh, we're also looking in South Asia in particular. Um, thankfully, compared to this time last year when Sri Lanka was undergoing a, a real crisis situation, the economic and political stability in the country has vastly improved, uh, but that doesn't mean that other parts of the region are by any means uh, any less challenged. Uh, for instance, uh, you have a huge uh, risk of unrest in places like Bangladesh, uh, where opposition and government uh, supporters are, have repeatedly clashed in recent weeks. You have an ongoing electricity crisis, uh, you know, economic grievances, rising cost of living, basically all of the factors that go into uh, a combustible situation. 
another country in the region, Pakistan, uh, where you had the ongoing saga over Imran Khan, uh, which is really just a symptom of fundamental grievances that people have against the government uh, alongside other economic challenges. And then if you go to places like Europe, uh, where you are perhaps some people already experiencing this uh, as they travel, we're expecting a huge amount uh, of union labor activity, uh, strikes, travel disruptions, etc. Um, in places like France, the UK, Spain, um, all places that have seen this in recent weeks and this type of activity tends to, to peak over the summer because unions precisely know it's when they can you know have the most impact. Uh, but we're expecting it to be even more intense this summer uh, amid a host of other grievances uh, in a bunch of these countries. So a little bit of a tour there. Uh, obviously, our, our readers and listeners can, can read the forecast to learn a bit more, but hopefully kind of gives a sampling of some of the high-profile things we're covering. Yeah, that was a great kind of overview of everything. Um, but finally, what are some kind of underappreciated stories that we're monitoring? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, Emma, because, you know, candidly, uh, this is kind of the type of work I enjoy the most, finding those stories that may not be making the headlines, but actually can be super impactful. And so I'd really, I'd flag a few things here. The first is something I know I spoke about with you a few weeks ago, which is the situation in South Africa. You know, honestly, if, if we didn't have the Ukraine conflict going on uh, and U.S.-China tensions, I would say the story in South Africa, you know, deserves to be on the front page of every newspaper, uh, where the country is really experiencing a huge electricity crisis, um, and we've had warnings uh, that this summer, which in South Africa is basically June to August, um, is going to face real constraints on their power grid. Um, for those of you know that you have not been following, the basic problem is that the state-owned utility ESCOM simply does not have enough supply to meet demand, and so it engages in load shedding, which is basically planned outages to prevent a total failure of the grid. Um, there are a lot of reasons to expect uh, this problem will not only persist at a really severe level, but actually increase in the next few weeks as, as the demand increases. Uh, but this is happening in combination with a spike in crime, a spike in protest activity, some of which is in fact caused because of the load shedding, people being aggrieved by it, uh, but also happening completely independently. And so because we have so many people that are either traveling to South Africa or have operations there. It's a big underappreciated underappreciated story uh, that I think is worth following. Another one that I'd emphasize um, that's probably uh, a bit better known, uh, but I would say may not be looked at from this angle, uh, is what we're expecting out of China. Um, obviously, you know, the U.S.-China dynamic is certainly in the aggregate on the front page every day, uh, but it's usually done at a more strategic level. So what I mean by that is we're usually talking about the high-level dialogue between Washington and Beijing, uh, trade disputes, etc., uh, what we're looking at at a more tactical security level um, is the ways in which this relationship could result in a huge uh, amount of operational challenges uh, for companies and perhaps even for personnel in mainland China. Uh, obviously, we've seen over the past quarter reports of a number uh, of raids against uh, private companies in the country. And of course, that's had a, a real chilling effect in the business environment. Uh, but China's also come out with a whole host uh, of recent laws that are either now being implemented or will soon uh, come into implementation that uh, really are going to, to challenge operations in the country, everything involving um, things that companies now need to be doing in terms of uh, cyber and data retention, um, 
things that they need to be doing in terms of uh, perhaps uh, reporting certain alleged violations to authorities. And if they don't do that, um, there are some severe penalties they could face, uh, ranging from uh, not just reputational damage, but also fines and perhaps even imprisonment in the country. And you know, our concern is, as there are so many companies out there uh, that have operations, uh, not only uh, on the retail side, but of course also on the supply chain manufacturing side, and with so many corporate executives going there, we want to scope out the risks to these individuals and talk about, okay, as the U.S.-China dynamic continues to be tenuous, uh, if not deteriorate even further, what are those physical safety threats um, to individuals, not least of which I would just emphasize probably comes from state surveillance. Um, and so these are just some of the many things that we're covering. Um, and if, for those of you out there who are, of course, keen to learn more, I sincerely hope uh, that you'll pick up our forecasts and see what we can do to try to make sense of the world. Thanks for that analysis, Sam. Thanks so much, Emma. As Sam mentioned, for access to our Q3 forecast or any of our other quarterly and yearly forecasts, go to our website, rainnetwork.com, where you can learn more about both our geopolitical and threat intelligence platforms. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emma Kami. Thanks for listening.